Hello and welcome to the Gateway Gamers Podcast. My name is Brian. I am one half of the Gateway Gamers. This is a podcast where I introduce my friend RP to the world of gaming. RP is not here. He is out in the land of California, Disneyland, visiting his best friend Mickey Mouse. So it's up to me to present you guys with some cool games to talk about. Since this is a bit of a filler episode, I figured I would hit you guys with five filler games. So if you guys don't know, Filler games are games that you play in between bigger games. Generally, they're smaller, they are more compact to travel with, they're quicker to learn, quicker to teach. So they're great. I love these type of games. These are games we really want to be able to cover on the podcast as a whole episode. So this is a great opportunity for me to present some great gateway filler games to everybody. The first game I want to talk about is Love Letter. Love Letter came out in 2012. It goes for two to four players, plays for 20 minutes, ages 10 up, and was designed by Saiji Kanai, produced by Alderac Games. The mechanics are deduction and hand management. This is a simple 16-card game that's easy to teach and works great with four players. I'm not really sure if two players would be as fun. I'm sure it's workable, but not fun, because the whole point of this game is deduction and knocking players out. So how you play is the 16 cards are shuffled and placed face down. The top card is taken away. You don't reveal it. You just kind of put it off to the side. And it's taken out of the game completely. And then each player is dealt one card face down to be kept secret. And then on that player's turn, it's just simply draw a card, play a card. So you only have two cards in your hand. And each card has a different numerical value as well as a power. The most common card you're going to run across is the guard card, which is the number one. So when you play this card in front of you, uh, you guess what you think another player has. And if you guess correctly, that card is knocked out. If you guess wrong, nothing happens. Uh, The next card is the number two, and what the number two is, is the priest. Uh, The priest is, when you play that, you can look at another player's hand, which is their one card that they have. And you don't reveal to anyone else, you just keep it to yourself. And this is good for deduction's sake. So if you know that the person that you looked at has, let's say, number six, then if you get the guard card or one of these other cards, it could help you knock that person out or deduce what they have. Because if you know they have a number six, and then they play a number six, then you know more than likely the number six is not in their hand anymore unless they happen to draw two sixes. So it can help you, again, deduce and kind of knock that person out. The next card is the Baron. Uh, What the Baron does is you play it, you select another player, and you compare hands. So that means you show whatever card you have in your hand. That's not the Baron. And then pick another player, they show you their card, and the person with the lower number loses. So again, this is a great way to deduce if I'm playing the Baron and I compare hands with RP, and I knock him out, and the card that he puts down is a 4, then I have something that is higher than a 4. Speaking of the number 4, the number 4 card is the next one I'm going to talk about, and it is the Handmaid. So what the Handmaid does is you play it in front of you, and you're immune to the effects of everyone else. So it basically is just a free pass. They can't do anything to you for a whole turn. No one can pick you to compare hands or look at your hand. You're just kind of immune for a round. The next card is the Prince card. Um, What the Prince card does is it basically makes anyone that you choose discard their hand to pick a new hand. So you just put down the card that looks like Brad Pitt, 
because that's what they, for some reason, drew the prince to look like. Uh, you pick a player, that player puts down their card face up and just draws a new card, which again, helps with deduction because also on the cards is like little notches so you know how many cards are in the deck altogether of that number. And then, so you can kind of see what everyone has on the table and kind of work with that and figure out who has what and how to knock them out as the game goes on. The next card is the king. Uh, what the king does is you play it and you just trade hands with another player. So you just swap cards, which could be beneficial or unbeneficial, depending on what card you get back. The next card is the number seven card, the countess. Uh, the countess is a really interesting card because you can really play mind games with it, but it can also really hurt you if you don't want to play it. So what the countess does is when you draw it, and if you have a king or a prince in your hand, you have to discard the, the countess, which can reveal the other players that you either have a king or a prince, or you can play the countess to make them th think that you have the king or prince in your hand. So it's a, it's a really interesting card for mind games. Um, it's also a dangerous card to kind of hold on to, but it's also a great card to hold on to because it's such a high number. And as I get to the end game, I'll talk about why the high numbers matter. Finally is the number eight, the princess. Now the princess is great to have and also awful to have in your hand because she's the highest number, which is a number eight. However, if you are forced to discard her for any reason, you're just out of the round. Like you pretty much could be knocked out of the game immediately if someone either guesses that you have the, the princess or they force you to put her down. You're just kind of knocked out. So those are all the cards. As I said, uh, at the end of the round, once all the cards are done and there's no more to draw, the people, whoever's left, reveals their hand and whoever has the highest number is the winner. So as I said, it's good to hold on to those high cards, the princess and the countess, but they also come with some bad things that you don't want to hold on to them for. You don't want to hold on to the princess for too long early in the game because you get knocked out really early. Uh, the countess is also a bit of a gamble to hold on to. If you draw a king or the prince or whatever, that makes you discard it and you can be immediately kind of revealed and knocked out. Like I said, Love Letter, I love this game. Uh, it's a great filler game. It's a great game just to introduce to people. I think this is a great gateway game. The, the story and whatever that's supposed to be translated in the game is kind of whatever. So it's supposed to be you're delivering a love letter to uh, the princess and you have to get through all these people and it's just, it's whatever. It's not there. It's just a great card game. It's easily transportable. You play through multiple rounds and each round you get like a little token. And I think depending on how many players is how many rounds you play, it's usually just like two or three. So this game can go really quick, which is why I love it. It's just a perfect, small, cheap, 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 cheap. I love cheap games. This one, I think, might not even retail for $15. Like I always said, RP, if it's under $20, it's pretty much free. So that's Love Letter from Alderac Games. A fantastic little filler game, fantastic card game, fantastic gateway game. The next filler game I want to talk about is Abandon All Artichokes. Uh, this was made in 2020 for two to four players. Plays for 20 minutes, ages 10 plus, designed by Emma Larkins and produced by Game Right Games. This game is a deck building, open drafting type game. Deck building is a great mechanic. It's one of my favorites in games. Uh, you're basically getting cards to make your deck bigger. You start with a set amount. The first game you start with 10 cards. Then you just kind of build your deck up to make it do more things. Open drafting is basically just there's a row of cards in the center of the table. 
and you're just choosing from that group of cards. Uh, the game's super easy to learn. It consists of 100 cards. Uh, the artwork is fantastic. If you look it up, abandon all artichokes. They're just fun, like vegetables drawn in a very cartoony manner. And the point of the game is that your crop is being overrun by prickly artichokes, and it's up to you to prune your harvest and abandon all artichokes. Uh, the rules are simple. You just draft a card, play as many cards as you're able, then discard, draw five more. Once you draw a new hand and it doesn't have artichokes in it, you win. So at the beginning of every game, each player is given ten cards. They're all the same. It's just artichokes. They're cutesy little artichoke caricatures, and um, that's basically your deck. They have no power. They have no purpose. The first player goes by picking one of the five cards that's in the middle stack. There's five, the garden stack it's called. It's five cards that are just out front of you. You draw five cards. It's your five artichoke cards. Surprise, surprise, because that's all you have at the moment. Uh, the cards that could be out each have different powers that can help you get rid of the artichokes in your hand uh, to just build your deck bigger so that you can draw five cards without artichoke. So in that garden row, there will be one of nine different vegetables, and they all have different powers. The B card, um, what the B card is, is you and another player randomly reveal each cards to each other secretly. If you both have artichokes that you random reveal to each other, you discard those artichokes into the compost pile. The compost pile is a pile off to the side where cards just permanently disappear from the game. If you don't reveal, both reveal artichokes, then you just swap cards. So the B card goes to the other player, and the other player gives you whatever card they reveal that's not an artichoke card. Next up is broccoli. Broccoli is just if you have three or more artichokes in your hand, you could compost one. Um, again, permanently deleting it from your hand. Next up is the corn card. Uh, the corn card must be played with an artichoke, so you can't just play the corn card if your hand doesn't have any, like, enough artichokes to play it with. Um, and then what you do is you discard it with the artichoke, and then you can just pick another card from the garden row. So it's basically just a good way to beef up your deck to have a less chance to draw artichokes. Next up is the carrot. The carrot uh, is your only action that turn. You compost exactly two artichokes and the carrot card. So the carrot card along with the two artichokes get composed it, so they're out of the game completely. Uh, next up is the eggplant. The eggplant's very similar. You compost the artichoke and the eggplant, and then players pass two cards of their choice to the left. Next up is a leak. And the leak reveal the top card of the opponent's deck, and you can either put it into the top of their discard pile or into your hand. So it's a really good card to kind of see if you draw something you like, you take it. If it's an artichoke, you don't want it. You just put it into their discard pile, which is a double-edged sword again because that's less chance of them drawing an artichoke card. Uh, next up is the onion. The onion just lets you compost an artichoke out of your hand. But and then the onion goes to another player's uh, discard pile. So now it belongs to them for when they draw cards. Next up is the pepper. Uh, the pepper lets you take a card from your discard pile and put it on top of your deck. So it's just kind of a good way to maybe get back a card that you really need at the moment or just a really good card or just a card to lessen the chance of you drawing artichokes. Next up are peas. Uh, peas make you reveal the top two cards of the garden stack, and you put one in your discard pile and then one into another player's discard pile. So just 
a good way to kind of get cards, but also giving other player cards. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Last is the potato. Potato is reveal the top card from your deck. If it's an artichoke, you can post it for free. Otherwise, you just place it into your discard pile. So it's just a good way to kind of try to burn those artichokes out of your hand. And as I said, the goal is to be able to draw five cards without getting artichokes. So after you play your cards, you play into the discard pile, eventually you'll have no more cards to draw from. You shuffle all your discard pile together, and that's your new deck. So you start drawing from that deck. The game could go really quick. It could go 15, 20 minutes, or it could be a lot quicker depending on luck. There's a lot of luck in this game just from what's drawn at the time. Uh, overall, I love this game. I think it's just another quick, fun, uh, just deck, like almost a reverse deck builder. Like I said, I love deck builders. This one, you almost want to destroy your deck a bit by getting rid of these artichokes. Um, it's easy to teach. It's not a complicated game. I think you could play with kids because this is from Game Right Games, which is more typically a producer kids games but my game group loves it it's just like i said a quick filler game between something heavier or waiting for people to arrive uh, it's just like a quick game to kind of play my one knock against it and it's something that game right game loves to do it comes in this tin and the tin is just oddly shaped <laughs> like that's it it's just an oddly shaped tin i can't stack it on top of any other games so it just kind of sits on the shelf oddly other than that fantastic game again i think maybe 12 to 15 dollars another cheap entry game and i love it it's just a really fun game next up is trash pandas from 2017 two to four players 15 to 20 minutes ages eight plus designed by lisa and michael eskew and another one from game right games this one has the mechanics of dice rolling push your luck and set collection dice rolling is obvious you're going to be rolling a dice push your luck is how many times can you do something without busting? So as you'll kind of read in the rules, you're going to be rolling the dice to gain something, and if something happens, you could you lose your turn. So you can kind of choose to keep going, take that gamble, push your luck, or you can kind of opt out and don't push your luck. And then set collection. So you'll be collecting different cards. Uh, the more cards you have of a certain type the, at the end of the game compared to other players will get you more points. So you're going to be wanting to collect certain type of cards. Trash Pandas has you playing as raccoons, tipping over trash cans, looking for food and shiny objects. So to set up, you're basically given a certain amount of cards depending on what player you are. So the first player gets given three cards, next player gets given four, five, uh, fourth player, if there is one, gets six cards. The first player starts the game by rolling a dice. On this dice there are certain uh, symbols on it that are pertinent to the game. So there are two trash cans on one side which lets you draw two cards, two trees which lets you stash two cards. So what stashing is is taking cards from your hand and putting them into your pile. These are your cards that you're collecting for the end game points. Uh, there's one side of the die that has a trash can and a tree. This either lets you draw one card or stash one card. Uh, there's a little paw, little raccoon paw, that lets you steal a random card from another player's hand. There's a little recycle symbol, which is the wild token or the wild symbol, and that lets you exchange this token for another token. I'll explain what tokens are in a few seconds. 
and then the last symbol is a little raccoon mask type thing, and it lets you draw a card randomly from the top of the deck, and then other players that have that card can stash that card for free, and for each card that the other players stash, you draw that amount. So if you uh, draw from the top of the deck, it's a fork. Other players, if they have forks in their hand, can stash it away for later points. For every person to stash it, you get to draw. So if I'm playing RP, he stashes three forks away, I get to draw three cards. So it's depending on what they stash is what you draw. And it's a really interesting mechanic that can make people think it's worth for them to stash cards away. So it's kind of a push your luck on that aspect. So as I said, I kept mentioning tokens. Um, this is a really cool mechanic where each symbol that you're rolling, you collect that token. There's tokens in the table that have each of these symbols. So if you roll and you get the double trash cans, you take that token, just kind of keep it in front of you. And then you roll again. If you roll again and you get the two trees, you now have the two trash cans and you collect the two tree tokens. And this is where the push your luck aspects comes in. You can decide, all right, I can roll again or I could stop and just have these two powers. Because if I roll again and I roll the two trash cans, my turn's done and I just draw a card. That's it. Where if I choose to stop, I can use the two trash cans to draw two more cards and stash two cards if I want. So that's where the push your luck mechanic kind of comes in of what you want to do. Because if you roll the same symbol twice, your turn's over. You just get to draw one card, which is kind of a waste. Now the cool thing about that is your turn might not be a complete waste. Because the cards that you're collecting not only help you in the end game, you can play them to help you in various ways. So as I said, there's the fork, which is called shiny. If you have the most of them at the end of the game you get three points. However, you can also steal a stash card from another player. So that's something you normally can't do. Normally, if you stash a card, it's kind of untouchable unless you have the fork, which you can use to steal a stashed card from another player. However, once it's played, it's not considered stashed, so it's gone. You can't have the most of that card if you're playing them. Next up is the chocolate bar, also called the yum yum in the game. And that forces a player to continue rolling, which is super dangerous because the player's like, you know what, I'm good, I got what I need. You can play that card and it forces them to have to roll again, which could make them bust out. Having the most chocolate bars gets you four points at the end of the game. So again, that's a good amount of points. It's not something you want to play a lot, especially because you can see what other people are kind of stashing. You can figure out like, all right, like as of now, I don't have the most yum yums. So is it worth for me to force this other person to keep rolling? Next up is the fish which is like a really rotten looking fish card. If you play that card, you take a card from the discard pile. So that's another really cool power. And if you have the most fish at the end of the game, it's five points. So again, is it worth for me to fish through the discard pile to get something or hold on to this fish card and stash it for points at the end of the game? And then there's the pizza pie, which is let you resolve a token twice. It's a really good card to play to kind of help you out so if it's if you get the draw two cards token you can play the pizza and you draw four cards which can help you but at the end of the game whoever is the most pizza gets six points so it's a really high point value as well as a good card next up for the point cards is the nanners it's a rotten looking banana 
this card, if you have the most, is worth seven points, and you ignore your last roll and choose to stop. So that's a really good one for if you bust. You can just be like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to play the Nanners, and that last roll is going to count, and I'm done my turn. But again, the most people who have it is seven points at the end of the game, so it's kind of like, uh, is it worth busting or playing this card? Next in the deck is the Blamo card. Blamo is a disgusting looking soda can. These can be stashed away for one points, however, they're just kind of good for making you re-roll your last die. So it's kind of the same thing. If you get a roll you don't like, you can re-roll again. However, the difference between this and the Nanners is you don't choose to stop the Nanners. You ignore the last roll and go, I'm done. This one you have to re-roll, which could result in you getting another bad roll. Next up is the Doggo card. The Doggo blocks somebody from stealing. So if someone rolls Raccoon Paw and tries to steal two or a card from you, you can play the Doggo card and it stops someone from stealing, and you get to draw two cards. So no points with that one, but it's a good one to hold on to just to get the draw cards. Next up is the Kitte. It's a cat card. This one basically does the same thing, stops a player from stealing from you, but instead of drawing two cards, you steal from them. So those two are just kind of good to have around, and they're good cards to kind of make you, again, push your luck where, do I steal from this person? Could they be holding on to this card? It's just not an automatic steal all the time. So that game kind of keeps going where the person rolls, they push their luck, they get their tokens, they do the actions until there's no more cards to draw. Once the last card is drawn, the carrot player finishes their turn and the game ends. If you have cards in your hand, they're just discarded, they're not points. The only points that you count are the stash cards. As I said, if you have the most of anything, uh, you get that many points. There are cards that have second most and third most, as denoted on the cards. It's really obvious what it means. And that's it. That's just another great game. Like, I really enjoy this game. This is a great game that I teach to new people. All these games are, but this one's a really cool one because it's not just play cards, do an action. It's not just push your luck. It's not just set collection. It's a really good collection of all three of those aspects where you can play just set collection and not do the action cards or just collect the cards, or you can use the actions a lot to mess other players up while also collecting cards. A really good way to learn these different mechanics for bigger, meatier games. Once again, this is a game right game, so it's cheap, it's portable, easy to learn, easy to teach, just perfect filler game that I love to pull out. The next game I'm gonna talk about is one of the more interesting games that I have in my collection. It's actually the third time that I've bought this game because this is a game that's very prone to getting damaged and beat up and you will hear why but it's a fantastic game again it's it's super cheap so it's kind of worth buying a couple copies if this is a game that you think you want to grab the game is called cheating moth it's for three to five players plays for 30 minutes ages seven up and it's designed by emily and lucas brand and it's distributed by a company called dry magier pretty sure it's like a german game and german distributor so cheating moths is exactly in the title, a cheating game. This is a game where cheaters prosper. If you have a person in your group that loves to cheat or you know cheats, this is a great game for them. Uh, the goal in the game is to get rid of your entire hand of cards before anyone else. Each player starts with eight cards. One player is dealt what is called the guard bug. That player looks out for players that are cheating. That's their only job. They can't cheat. 
they look for other players that could cheat. On any player's turn, you play a card to the discard pile, and it has to be a card one higher or one lower than the number card that's on the table. So each card is just like like a bug of some type or like a batch of some weird cards, and they all have numbers on them. So if someone plays a three, the next person either plays a four or a two. It's pretty simple. Now, if you can't play one higher or lower, you could draw a card. However, there are other ways to get rid of these cards. Cheat. So you can literally do anything to get rid of a card. There are a few rules that the, the table or the game kind of has. You can also kind of home rule everything. Your hand of cards must always be held above the table. You cannot get rid of more than one card at a time. It's, it's an odd rule, but it's just like you can't just like throw three cards on the floor. You have to do it one at a time. And then if the player is caught cheating by the guard bug, other players can't cheat at this time. So if the guard bug calls out RP and is like, hey, I think you're cheating, and while he's focused on him, the other players can't just start throwing cards away. Some fairness in cheating. And then the last card in your hand can't be cheated away. It has to be played fairly. Now, if the guard bug catches you, you have to get back the card that you cheated away, and then now you get the guard bug. So you're the new person that looks out for other cheaters, and you can't cheat yourself. Now, if the guard bug is wrong in accusing you, they have to draw from a pile, and he's just still the guard bug forever. So it's very honest. You have to be honest. Like, if you're caught, just say you're caught. Don't, don't be a super cheater. Now, along with these numbered cards, there's also some cards that have special powers, which add to the fun of the game. There's the cheating moth card itself, which you cannot play normally. You have, the only way to get rid of it is through cheating. So even if you're a player that doesn't like to cheat, if you get this card, you have to play it to win. You have to cheat it away. So it's a good idea to kind of get rid of that card as soon as you can, because as I said, if it's the last card in your hand, you cannot cheat it away. You have to play the last card fairly, so you'll kind of be stuck with it for a while. Another card is the spider. Anyone who plays the spider then immediately can give away a card in its hand, except for the cheating moth. Again, you can't give the cheating moth away. It has to be played by cheating. But when you play the spider, you can pick another card and just give it to another player. The mosquito is played. Everyone except for the player that threw it down has to slap the mosquito card with their hand. The last person that slaps their card down takes a card from each player. When the cockroach is played, all players try to place the same number card value on top of that card. Only the person that does it first is the one that gets to leave their card in place. And then if no one can do it, the game just continues normally. And then finally, the ant. When the ant is played, all players must take a card from the draw pile, except for the player that played that card. So the game goes on until there's no cards left in someone's hand. There is a point system where each number card scores, like, minus points or whatever. My game group never plays it that way. It's basically just whoever won that round is the winner. Like I said, this game is very active. So my two of my copies, a bunch of the cards got really beat up and really hammered. You can really find some interesting ways to cheat. You can put up your sleeve. When you play a card, you can perfectly have another card underneath and play it and hope that no one kind of catches it. You can just drop cards on the floor if you're quick enough. You could just throw a card across the room. There's some really creative ways to do this type of game. I think it's really... A different and neat type of game. I never really played any game like it. I don't know that a lot of people talk about it. I mean, I don't really know anyone else who's played this game. 
I guess being a German distributor, I don't know if it's hard to come by. I just get off Amazon, so it can't be that hard. But it's a game that not a lot of people are talking about. But it's always fun. Another game that I introduced to new people, and it's just an interesting mechanic where they're like, oh, a card game, that's great. But I'm like, oh, you could cheat. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a neat idea. I'm like, let's try that. And it's always a hit. Again, cheap. I think I only paid $11, $12 for it. So that's kind of the theme of tonight. The final thing I'm going to talk about tonight is, I guess, kind of a game, but it's kind of not a game. It's also a bit of a, a cheat for this list. It's called Rory Story Cubes. Uh, it was made in 2005. It's 1 to 12 players. It could be played with more, though. Plays for 20 minutes. You could play it for as long as you want. Age is 6 plus. I think it could be played younger. And designed by Ryan O'Connor. And this is a dice-rolling, storytelling activity. I don't even consider this a game. So Rory Story Cubes are exactly what they sound like. They're dice that have different pictures on them. It could just be a smiley face. It could just be a rock, an alien, a spaceship. They have uh, a basic set, just a, I think like eight cubes, and each side has a different picture. What I use this for in my classroom is for creative expression, for journaling. Uh, it can also be played with a group of adults, I guess. You could, but it's like, I don't know how fun it would be. But this is a great activity game for kids for creative expression and thinking and imagination. So what you do is you roll a set amount of dice. You can roll eight, you can roll three, you can roll one at a time, and then you have the person who rolled tell the story using the pictures on the dice. My students absolutely love this activity. They always request it. I have a giant set of dice from this multiple sets uh, i found them at thrift stores i've they're again they're relatively cheap at barnes and noble and other places i found them and the most interesting part is they also have a lot of ip with them so they have a batman set they have a star wars set they have a doctor who set they have a looney tune set they have a scooby-doo set and then they also have non-ip sets that have dinosaurs and actions and princesses and just really interesting and different ways that you can use them. So it's just a neat little activity that I would never get to talk about in this podcast because I don't know if RP and I could do a whole episode on Rory Story Cubes unless we're rolling the dice and telling stories. But if that's something you would want us to do, reach out. Say, Brian, do a Rory Story Cube episode where you just roll dice and make up stories with each other. But I don't think I'll get anyone to reach out, except for Mike over at Board Games for One. I'm sure he'll be a pain in the ass to reach out and tell me to do that episode. But like I said, those are just five filler games that I want to highlight that uh, we would not get a chance to cover in the main episodes. And for a little bit, this might be a, some of the format that we'll be doing, where we'll do a main episode, and then I might have to do a solo episode just because RP and I schedules are crazy at the moment but we still want to put out content and not go like once a month or or even longer. Um, so, so hopefully this is something you enjoyed and you'll be coming back. I'm going to have some different topics. I'll either do another uh, mini games type deal or I'm going to cover just a whole game by myself, a solo game or a cooperative game that I can play solo just to kind of review. I also have a giant pile that I need to purge, which was the whole point of starting this podcast. So maybe I'll just blow through some of those and then kind of talk about why they get why they're getting purged and some pros and cons maybe how they play but that's just what's kind of going on over here at the gateway gamers um once again i want to thank you all 
Be sure if you like what you're hearing to leave five stars always. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Um, check out our Redbubble. Check out uh, Tee Public. I believe. We have merchandise on there. Stickers help out. Shirts represent. Walk around with our logo as you go to the different cons. I know uh, Pax Unplugs coming up in December, so if you want to rock the Gateway Gamers there, if you're coming out for that, grab some gear to represent. I guess that's kind of it. Thank you so much again uh, for everything, and see you later. I'm feeling like a star, you can't stop my shine I'm bloody cloud nine, my head's in the sky I'm solo, I'm riding solo I'm riding solo, I'm riding solo, solo Yeah, I'm feeling good tonight Finally doing me and it feels so right Oh, time to do the things I like Going to the club, everything's alright Oh, no one to answer to No one is gonna argue, no And since I got that hold off me I'm living life now that I'm free, yeah Told me get my shit together Now I got my shit together, yeah Now I made it through the weather Better days are gonna get better I'm so sorry that it didn't work out I'm moving on I'm so sorry, but it's over now The pain is gone I'm putting on my face to cover up my eyes I'm jumping in my ride Understood. Back in the game, who knew I would? Oh, so flat, time I spread my wings. Loving myself makes me wanna sing. Oh.